Welcome to Capital Class. I'm Adam Geary. We founded Capital Class to share candid conversations with market-leading businesses while humanizing the journey of constructing an enterprise. Oftentimes, a business is born from pain points, a recognition of a need, a fit, a solution. However, to start a business during the emergence of an industry is an entrepreneurial masterclass in resilience. In today's class, we are joined by a survivor of the early stage startup, a leader who risked possible jail time and deportation to fulfill her dream. To share this story of striving and thriving to build an enterprise, we are joined by Joanna Mikola, co-founder and CEO of Wincode Academy, and currently Vice President and GM of BrainStation. Joanna's story of founding a code school in a once obscure corner of Miami to advising the White House on the future of computer coding is a powerful lesson in persistence. We explore the story of growing an enterprise, an industry sector, and a leader. Today's episode of Capital Class. We hope you enjoy. Classmates, you are in for a real treat today. We often explore the journey of an enterprise, the grit, the challenge, the success, and the struggle, and the building of an organization. However, today, this episode crosses both, not only the growth of an individual, but of an industry. That industry is computer encoded science. I'd argue that no curriculum kind of crosses the lips of more local elected officials than coding. Right? The, the market uh, at one point experienced a major boom and then a relative bust uh, with investors and organizations. However, the once kind of emerging frontier has really developed into what most would say is an acceptable and powerful piece of American education. So to explore this topic, we are joined by what I, I mean, I'm partial, <laughs> but one of the most unique founders, uh, one of the original founders and co-founder of the WinCode Academy, Joanna Mikla. Joanna is the CEO and co-founder of WinCode and currently the VP and GM of BrainStation. Joanna, thank you so much for being on the show. So great to be here. Great to be with an old, longtime friend. I'm sure we're going to have good, some good stories over the next 30 minutes. I'll say a lot of times on the show, I'm a listener and I'm kind of along for the journey. However, I feel like in your story, I've kind of <laughs> lived through some of these chapters with you. Well, you're part of the story. You're a good part. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> that. Let me take us back for a minute. My memory, but you'll tell us the story was that you and Yuha, your spouse and co-founder, were involved in a sports league in Canada. Or you're involved in, in tell, right? You, you end up exiting that industry or exiting that business, and you decide to move to America to open a code school. Mm -hmm. Can you take us back to that moment? Yeah, in Miami of all places. Not necessarily known for a, a budding tech hub back in 2013, <laughs> 2014. Um, yeah, so so my husband and I are co-founders of WinCode Academy, which was recently acquired by BrainStation, a global leader in digital skills training. More about that, probably a little on the podcast, but we're originally from Finland. We moved <clears throat> to South Florida 
via Toronto, where we went to university and started our professional careers. And uh, we were both in sports. My husband, Yuha, started off in an e-commerce sporting goods business. He was an entrepreneur um, with indoor hockey. And I was really fortunate after the 20, 2000, I'm dating myself, 2005 lockout for the National Hockey League. I got hired there and subsequently ended up being there for almost a decade because it was such an incredible uh, experience. But we were we were both, you know, we're, we're the story of our students. It's possible to pivot and go after your dreams and do amazing things in, you know, in our case, in education and technology. Um, but we we got to a point in, in our professions and him and his entrepreneurial pursuits where we were at a fork in the road and we were, he decided to do a coding boot camp back in the early days in Canada. And I was looking at doing an MBA to further advance my career in, in sports entertainment. And he did the program and we, I, we were both, we couldn't believe how far it took people in such a short period of time. And so we did, you know, what seemed feels like a very like movie scene. We like were on vacation in Miami uh, in Wynwood at Panther Coffee, which is like the nucleus of Wynwood where we are. Um, and we took out a map and we're like, where do we want to be? What do we want it to be called? And we were like, we want to do it right here. We were like surrounded by graffiti and <laughs> artists and like some warehouses were abandoned, others weren't. And we're like, this seems like a good place to build something new. And, you know, sure enough, eight years later, here we are having gone through many different things, a lot, some of those things with you, like getting licensed and that whole process. I know we're going to talk about that to uh, bringing in our first uh, round of investment to expanding locations to exiting. So it's, it's been an incredible ride. And, and in addition to all of that, you know, shout out to hashtag Miami tech so much has happened for us individually for WinCode as a company, but also for this whole ecosystem. It's just really blowing up in a good way. <laughs> I, I think you mentioned something here, which I think challenges the movement, which is, for the outsider, when they hear you can take this course or courses, a series of them, under a really compressed period of time, 6, 12, 18 months, you leave that and you're like wildly employable. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that, that that challenged the kind of belief in the coding world in the early days? Yeah, it's interesting. There's like a few different schools of thought because at the very beginning of computer science and coding, most people were self-taught. How, you know, like it was all new. There were no courses to learn it. And then it became structured and academic and computer science degrees to this day teach you the foundations, the theory, the algorithms. They, They aren't necessarily... Not all, but most do not touch the practical, hands-on, like I have the web development skills to put together an app and a website and make it happen right now. So accelerated learning programs, also known as boot camps, uh, yeah, they came in and and shook up the scene a little bit, for sure, not only in Florida, but and not only in the U.S., I'd say in the whole world, and, and are continuing to do so. I think in general, there's a big topic of, you know, where does the four-year degree fit in in people's lives and their professional journey to get to a certain place professionally. And, uh, you know, college is great. Uh, You know, in the beginning, we said that coding boot camps are a supplement and in some cases, increasingly a replacement also for college and university. Because if you really know what you want to do and this is what you want to do, we've come now full scale where the biggest tech companies in the world don't require a computer science degree anymore to join their technology teams, both digital design and software 
engineering. And that's just partially because you can learn the skills in a different format in a more condensed, condensed time. But it's also a reflection of the massive demand. So, you know, Bureau of Labor Stats just came out with, with some new stats. And by 2030, they're expecting that there's going to be nearly uh, 700,000 open jobs in computing alone. And uh, it's funny because I've been quoting those stats since 2013, 14, and the gap's still there. So the, there's just a wealth of opportunity for pe people to gain these skills. Some of it, I think, when we think about higher education, like that model dates back to like 1850s. I mean, you go way back to William Mary, but the modern day, right, where you take this liberal arts, 60 credits of kind of explore yourself, explore the world, 60 credits, some sort of content. Mm -hmm. But that takes four years. Yeah. And in some cases, a lot of money. Yeah. And <laughs> you have to be efficient in your four years, right? I think the the four-year graduation rate in Florida was less than half. And then the, the average was like six years, right? So now you're, you're extending that period of your time. And I think there's some value there to it, but your, your learners early on were totally different. Right? I remember visiting your schools. Mm -hmm. You're, you were serving an adult population. You were serving people that were transitioning different careers. I mean, it's incredible what the boot camp did for the market. Yeah, absolutely. So our average age in the programs continues to be about 29, 30-year-old professionals who are pivoting from any industry you can name. It is so broad spectrum from, you know, the high, most accomplished people like attorneys and doctors to, you know, mechanics and, and you know, restaurant workers. So to stay-at-home moms, to stay-at-home dad, it's just, it's so broad, the background. And, um, you know, if you have the passion, uh, you have the perseverance and you can get through the program and you work really hard, you're, you're, you're going to get through it and you're going to get land a, an amazing opportunity. So um, we are dealing primarily with career changers. So people who are pivoting their careers. We also deal with a lot of people. Technology is increasingly touching every industry. My personal theory is that every industry is a tech industry and then the you know, subset of whatever industry you're in. And so people are feeling that they're seeing that and they want, they're, in, they're genuinely interested, you know, from marketing to journalism being disrupted by it to even the National Hockey League where I worked, we started building internal custom software to better manage what we were doing. Um, so I, I will say that people are genuinely interested, but also every industry needs these skill sets. Understanding how technology works and how things are built is going to make you a better professional. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. And for us, we actually, we offer both career change programs, which are full-time immersive programs, um, which are definitely going to push you out of your comfort zone, but give you so much value and excitement. Um, but we also have our part-time certificate programs uh, now at BrainStation and at WinCode. We had that as well, which are you know, leveling up or skilling up programs for professionals. Let's dive in here for a minute because there's a, you were ahead, way ahead, right? So the coding movement begins, the boot camps start. A lot of companies took investment. Yes. Some of them sold. Yeah, a lot, a lot of them. <laughs> a lot of them sold early. I'm, I'm talking yeah. about the first wave, right? Where yeah. like the market was splashed. Yeah. I think it was, was it Kaplan? Kaplan, yeah, Kaplan ended up buying Dev Bootcamp, which was a leader in the space, originally founded in, in Chicago. 
but my memory is as a leader, that business was only a couple of years old. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they, they grew, you know, we, um, I'll give you, I'll give you guys a great story. So we are six months into running WinCode in Miami. We had moved to Miami to launch. We went from concept to launch in three months. Um, we open up WinCode. It's incredible. We're meeting lots of people in the first cohort. Everyone graduates a hundred percent placement. And we get this email from the White House and I and the White House is inviting us in. And this was 2014. So six months in, we get a White House from the vice president's office to come in and they want to meet with the country's top coding boot camps. And I thought it was spam. I, I saw the email <laughs> and it had like the White House logo and it just it didn't look like that modern to me, although it did have the letterhead. And I click delete. Thank goodness I have a co-founder who reads and responds to every single email. He's like, yeah, it seems kind of random. I don't even know how they would have gotten our contact, but I'm going to respond. And sure enough, it was a legitimate invitation. So here we are uh, just talking about early days. We go to the White House. And the reason I know Dev Bootcamp, Flatiron, GA, all, all these like wonderful players and the founders of Hack Reactor, Hackbrite, is because we were all sitting there. And I think everyone kind of in the room was like, who, wait, who who's Winco? Miami? There's coding boot camps in Miami. And so it was just really great to be in that room. But it was also a testament to how quickly um, the industry was growing and also how quickly we were able to have an impact and get on um, the radar of the people who did the research to decide who they would invite because they only invited 10 schools. And even back then at the time, there were quite a lot of schools and that number was growing all the time. And that White House visit led to a second White House visit both of which one was to help establish standards, which we all came together. And there's been a lot of transition there. Uh, and then also to start serving veterans. So we're really proud to say that we accept the GI Bill. That was a long process to become a GI Bill approved school. And it's it's been great to have veterans go through the program. When you started though, right? A founding principle of your school was the education and then the placement. Mm -hmm. And I feel when we think about higher ed, right? When you and I graduated higher ed, it was like, ah, there you go. Right. You got your paper. They're like, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Power to you. You're out the door. Yeah. And uh, I'll brag on you. There was the early days of WinCode you were placing. Then you were out finding companies. Then this I'd say is you know, if there were chapters to WinCode, maybe this like the second and third chapter <laughs> or you're finding companies who have need and you're training. And those people are getting instantly hired. And I mentioned that one because that's like a frontier moment in the education world that like classical higher ed, which I'm a fan of, I don't, you know, besmirch it, but hasn't, reached yet, right? We're like, it's kind of being forced there through a little bit of market, a little bit of funding and policy, but that was like a founding tenet of your business. Yeah. I mean, we still to this day measure our success on the success of the people who go through the programs. And then the number one KPI for that is the ROI. So do they get the career pivot and change from the information and the education that they've garnered from us, as well as by using the network that we give them access to. And education is such a rewarding space to be in. When, when people have that light bulb go off and they, 
you know, they grow in confidence and capability. It's so awesome. But, you know, there's always, you know, the missing piece, the piece that was so important for us when we decided to do this was just, well, they got to get a job, right? So that we, we have and continue to spend so much effort on making sure that individuals are professionally ready and understand that job hunting is a skill in and of itself. And what is that skill? How do you hone it? How do you, you know, get access to a hiring network? And so we place a lot of importance on it and uh, it really paid off. And I mean, our, it's amazing. I, I go to tech meetups in South Florida all the time and, and there's so many of our grads now in the role of hiring others or being seniors or leads, um, being community leaders themselves. So a lot has happened in a short amount of time. But yeah, for me, it was so important for our whole team what really bonded us was not only high quality, um, you know, in demand education, but also having that piece that they would get the job afterwards. It wasn't, as you know, Adam, you're well versed with the with the statutes. You, we couldn't promise placement, and we knew that if we, you know, if if we knew how to fix that magic eight ball and promise people employment, we would. And there are a few specialized programs where. It was guaranteed employment afterwards, but the general program, we couldn't. So we did everything we could uh, to make sure that people got access to opportunities. We acted, I guess, kind of like a talent agent and still do where we are putting people forward at companies because we know the company well, we know the grads well, and we're trying to do that matchmaking. When we go back in time on this, right, and I just, the market we're in, the economy we're in, the recognition of your industry we're in are totally different than when you founded this business. Right, like 13, 14, you're convincing people like <laughs> this is a legitimate school with a legitimate success rate where you can go. And I believe you had like, you found like a lender mm-hmm. that would help you, right? Like there's a lot of scrappiness there. And at least that's how I would describe you guys. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um yeah, I would say the motto was, if there's a will, there's a way. And and there's always, you know, like, you know, shout out to all the entrepreneurs, founders out there. It's just like being a technologist. When you're an entrepreneur, it's all about solving problems and, and you know, with the best information and people that you have and trying to get the best outcome. And we faced all sorts of different issues in addition to, you know, one of, one of the biggest things and why, you know, we got to know you so well, Adam, is... We, uh, you know, didn't realize in the beginning that vocational training needed to be licensed by the State Department of Education, which is the Commission for Independent Education here in Florida. And uh, they, before we even started, they essentially sent a letter and said, uh, "You have to, you have to shut down. You, you can't operate." And so we were like, "Oh, we've this come is close great. a few other times after that." Yeah. So we took all our savings. We moved to a city where we didn't know a single soul, uh, which was a gamble because it didn't have an established tech ecosystem yet. And they were like, yeah, it's great you're here, but you need to do this process. And guess what? It takes eight months. And we've never licensed a coding bootcamp before. So um, I would say in a lot of cases, that happens in all businesses in different ways. And we were just like, well, we're going to make it happen. We're going to be the first. And we just didn't even entertain the alternative, which was, oh, well, they told us we can't, so we're not going to. And so we met, at, we, you know, we met Adam, we met a bunch of people in the ecosystem who who guided us through this process of, 
working with the CIE to become not only the first licensed coding boot camp in Florida, but in the entire country. So there were other coding boot camps operating for longer than us, of course, in different states, but the educational statutes were different. So they didn't actually, it wasn't, first of all, a felony in some of those other states, which it was in Florida. So that was fun to read about. <laughs> we're like, okay, not only are they telling us to shut down, but if we don't, we're going to jail. So uh, it all, anyway, it all worked out. And um, yeah, we, we met some really great people along the way, yourself included. And as we evolved and got more students and more locations and more programs, we had to continue working with the commission, which you know very well, because every time we had to make a change or, you know, we had inquiries, we, you know, we came to you. For guidance. They would definitely, you would probably be <laughs> in a class of one, like felons for starting a boot camp. Yeah. Yeah. It would have made for a great wired cover. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so, but there's, there, you leave, right? So you, you start the business, you kind of leave your time with the CIE, get given taken care of or on your trajectory. And at some point the market begins to recognize you investors and then eventually you exit and there's, yeah. there's like a lot of like sexiness around the exit and investors for that matter. Right. I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs. They're dying for investors, right? They're, they, the exit, they're so excited about it. And I, and I understand that, but it's also in some ways like you're getting married to these people. Mm -hmm. And so what I think makes your story really unique is that, it is unique to sell your business twice, which yes. you've done, but you've also bought your business. Yeah, we've really done it all. <laughs> <laughs> so you founded your business, exited your business, bought your business, and exited again. And so I, when I think about that, when you think about other founders, and there was a lot of moments. I mean, I remember sitting together at lunch it was uncertain times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when you're in the middle of it, it feels a bit uncertain. And then like you look back at it and, and it's like right now it's like calm. Things are great. There are no fires. It's just like, yeah, that was exciting. But at the time you're like, oh man, I don't know which way this is going. But yeah, essentially what ended up happening is, uh, you know, we who's watched Silicon Valley. I hope some people tuning in have watched Silicon Valley. It's an amazing show and it kind of makes fun of, but also very accurately highlights this, like, you know, the, the kind of romanticizing of like starting a startup and going through these various milestones, like first product, first revenue, first investor, first million, you know, they make fun of like the billion club. So like getting to the three comma club, all that, which, you know, we didn't still got to do that in the future. But, uh, so, so we also, I will say, we were very excited. We're like, okay, so we started, we hit some key milestones, which we we're pumped about. Um, but like many entrepreneurs didn't exactly like slow down to celebrate necessarily. It's only now that I'm reflecting on them for all of, all, all of those milestones. We were kind of like, okay, great. What's the next month? Like, what's the next thing we want to hit? So, so yes, we were like, let's, let's see if we can bring in investors. Like, let's scale this thing. Let's do, our original strategy was to do nine locations in Florida and really take over the Florida market in the early, early days. But we realized that when we had all of the brain power under one roof and kind of had an HQ, particularly for a geographic region like Florida, we did our best work. So we ultimately 
landed on Miami. But we went after looking for investors and we didn't know where it would take us. We met some really wonderful people, a lot of people who we still keep in touch with. And who knows, maybe in the future we'll we'll be doing things with. But um, we ultimately ended up um, getting investment, which which it was a it was a very established consulting group from Northern Europe, and they ended up buying a majority of Wincode at the time. And they were very established, but we really synced with them. Similar, I think, polycultures and backgrounds. And we had a great time building with them. But ultimately, what ended up happening is they were very, you know, corporate minded, a lot further along in that business, also operating in Europe and not in America. And then so it just wasn't synced. We weren't in sync anymore after a few years. And you know, we weren't really sure which way it was going to go, if they were going to buy us entirely or we were going to buy them. But ultimately, as you said, it ended up being that we bought them out and brought in some minority partners when we bought them out. Um, and it was scary times because, you know, we at the point of having partners at that point, we were like, OK, we're sharing the risk. We're sharing the growth. We have more minds to like put towards the big high level strategy. And then we're like, oh, we're going to be on our own again. So now we're going to own a majority of the company again. That turned out to be wonderful because it was like a, a whole new chapter. We learned some really key lessons there. Um, some simple things like they had so much runway with capital that they were investing more into growth than what the company was making. And for us as like organic growth, self-funded founders, that always made us a little bit uncomfortable. Although I understand you have to do that at some point to really scale a lot. But um, so that was one point of misalignment. But anyway, we bring in these new partners. And uh, soon after that, the pandemic hits. And it's like, oh, oh man, we're, we are known as being an in-person technology provider. And now we got to go totally online. We did that pivot in a matter of four days. We had a really senior experienced team. So it went great. Honestly, it was great. And while there was a lull right when the pandemic hit, we didn't know what was going to happen. All of a sudden, it just started going up. So the pandemic pushed us to go online with our learning. And it was incredible because it totally accelerated the business. We ended up having, uh, you know, we're hitting some company record, all-time records. Uh, I think our our team was in a great swing. The pandemic sucked, but things were going really well online. Our students were doing really well had more job opportunities because companies were now open to hiring remotely and through a relationship. And one thing I will say to anyone who's out there is you never know who you meet and is going to be the connector of your next opportunity, your next startup. It's just always great to kind of be a, a bit like a salesperson when you're an entrepreneur, meaning, you know, keep, keep all of your contacts close, keep in touch with people, make note of what people do, what they're interested in. So a contact who we had kind of met in passing connected us as he had been an original founder of BrainStation, wasn't with them anymore, connected us with the leadership and ownership there. They had already planned and gotten their license to open in Florida. <clears throat> we, t we took the call simply to get to know them, meet, share ideas, see what they were planning to do. And I mean, the rest is history. That conversation, you know, we, we connected really well. We were super aligned on mission and values and future and, you know, putting so much importance into building quality technology experience, that conversation evolved 
and and ultimately led into BrainStation acquiring WinCode at a time when we weren't necessarily looking to sell. So you just ne- you just never know. You always got to have your your eyes and your ears open. And and I think one of the strategies that Yuha had in particular was just you know to say yes to every meeting and uh, always you know get to know people, hear out the ideas, the proposals, and it, it's been great. That's a very abbreviated version, but that's essentially what happened in the last, oh, I don't know, seven years. There's a there's a common thread that I hear from most of the stories on the show and even my own, which is almost always major growth is preceded by some amount of like major pain. Yeah. And... There's, there's like no way, I guess, to short circuit that, right? Like in, in, in our case, there was, I think you said it eloquently, right? There was just a misalignment between two organizations and not to say one better than the other, but neither kind of optimizing one another. And there was like a, 50-50 shot that I'm fired, right? <laughs> wrote, wrote my resignation letter, um, made plans for like alternative healthcare, you know, like, and just had to be ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our story, similar to yours, we acquired the business Super and awesome. continue, I mean, 50% CAGR, like you know, sorry, 50% growth, like overnight. (laughs) And it's just, it's the, there's no other way I think to do it. And I think for your, your humility in this story is like, yeah, it all worked out. And, but I think there were, there's a lot of lessons to be learned for those listening around. No one, I think reaches the apex of wherever they're going without having to go through some valleys. Mm-hmm. It's so true. I mean, <laughs> you said it really well. So that that's eloquent. Um, yeah, there is, and over time, you look back and you just you appreciate the valleys so much more than the heights. There, it's it's those are the places where we learn the most. And in some of the cases, you look back and you're like, "Wow, I can't believe we made it out of that valley." True. Um, but but. It is, it is so rewarding. And uh, I guess looking forward, I would say I look forward to the valleys because the mentality we always had is almost you, you have this gut instinct. You're like, I know I can make this work. I'm not really sure how, but I'm going to keep moving forward. And that was kind of the underlying current and mentality that we had always. And then I think in a way you kind of make your own luck. So if you don't have the conviction or the perseverance or both, it could very easily be a failure or not work out or be the end of something. But ultimately the end always results in the beginning of something new. So we definitely had a few chapters, um, you know, where partnerships ended, uh, where new partnerships began. And it was always progressing towards the next level, which, which has been really rewarding. It almost sounds like uh, it sounds strange to say this, and I'm sure people, but yeah, right. <laughs> I was well, never the- more focused. <laughs> I was never more like 
just the uh, the acuity I had for the business leading up to the kind of most fraught situation, right? Like as in uh, reaching out to, you know, the current ownership group and saying, look, we want to buy this. And, and like that acuity and the focus that required, right? And the 90, I think in our case, you know, actually 78 straight days uh, to close, which as you know, in the acquisition world, that's lightning speed. Lightning. Um, that's every day, every night working. <laughs> I mean, like, if we're going to be honest, it was. Yeah. And there's no balance. And I, I hear a lot about balance. People tell me about balance. I'm going to balance. I'm not balanced. Mm. Like, I'm just not balanced. At work, I'm not balanced. I'm 100% at work. When I'm with my family, I'm 100% my family. Yeah. I'm on vacation, I'm not reachable. <laughs> that's and good. I just, well, that sounds like a good balance. There are people who are missing that too. I hear that and I, no. you're right. And I guess you put in that way, it feels that way. But in the moment, like there's a bit of focus around and the need to have some of these kind of gut check persistence moments in your life and especially mm-hmm. in your business. Yeah. Like COVID has transformed your business. COVID transformed my business. Yeah. Every person I've met beyond the like obvious and real physical toll mental toll of what it meant for many, many people from an organization standpoint, it let us like take all the old, like, ah, this is how we do things. Crumple that up. It went, I mean, overnight, it was like anything, it was anything you want to do. We'll try something new mm-hmm. from an entrepreneur perspective. Like that was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you go through like challenging situations, you, I've actually, literally started making notes of this. When you go through challenging situations, you find the things that you don't want to do or continue or things that don't work. And since there's so much going on, it's just, it's so interesting. I love having this like index that I have just to think through like what we're, you know, now looking back on some of the stuff, like what were all of the factors at play there? But yeah, you learn that. And then the, the other thing I would say as entrepreneurs is Oh man, we love chaos and crisis. At least I do. I'm that kind of entrepreneur. And I know Yuha definitely is. When there's a deadline or an emergency or things are, you know, on the line or there's a fire, I I think like that's when we come alive. Um, We're definitely stressed. I'm not going to lie and say that I don't get stressed, but I think that that's the time that I feel the most alive and the most like I'm contributing. And then once it's done and we made it through, then I can look back and be like, oh, those were the funnest moments. <laughs> but not, you say fun afterwards, definitely not during, because you don't really know which way it's going to go. I, I hear in your voice, you know, like there's like both the energy of the moment, but also like there's a value, I think, in that reflection, post-reflection, maybe downtime. You know, the as a CEO, you know, there's this kind of perspective, like you're always on, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, and especially when you own your business, your business becomes like almost your identity. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that was definitely, and still to a heavy extent, despite, um, having sold wing code is, is very, very true for myself and my co- co-founder. So I'm, you know, my new chapter is kind of like figuring out the next chapter. Um, and, also building globally with BrainStation, which is really rewarding, but it becomes your identity. And I will say the only thing that gave us some time, personal balance, and a bit of separation is having kids. So 
we have a five and a half year old and a three year old, uh, both boys, Matthias and Lucas, and they're so funny and they're just the best ever. Um, I was one of those people. I didn't know if I wanted to have kids. Now I'm like, oh my God, they're the best thing ever. But having kids forced us to force me personally to not be on all the time. It was the only thing that made me make that shift. So originally I was on all the time. So I hearing that you're when you're with your family, it's a hundred. When you're on vacation, it's a hundred. It wasn't like that for me until I had kids and that's because it was forced. There just wasn't another option. Um, The other thing I will say is like, I like working. I have fun working. I do the things that I love when I work. And so that's, for me, it is also hard to to balance it out. Although the kids have definitely made it much, much uh, easier now. So that's also been, been an evolution. And you know, we have our five and a half year old encoding as well. So it's kind of, he comes to the office too, and he like sees what's happening here. And uh, it's it's kind of cool to bring them into it as well. How do you find time to recharge? Like, what are, what are you doing now to to have that energy to be, you know, super mom, <laughs> running the business? I mean, not enough entrepreneurs I think talk about, or I've even heard like hustle culture. I don't mm. know what hustle culture is, but is it Instagram? Like, I guess, <laughs> but like, yeah, no days off. Um. What do I do? Well, I will say it ebbs and flows. I have like my really solid like spurts of things like journaling and meditating and working out and and sleeping well. And then I have other spurts where there's lots of events going on and I'm going to lots of events and maybe going to bed later and not doing all of my stuff. So I think as I've gotten older, it's it's more a matter of recognizing that I don't always have to be 100 I, it can ebb and flow in terms of like what routine is working for me, but just some general stuff. I mean, it is so important to take time for me. It's, it is, I hate to say it, the cliche things like taking time to meditate, sleep well and work out. Um, Naval Ravikant has this like amazing thing that, you know, he puts his, uh, you know, oxygen mask on first he has like non-negotiables where he takes, he's, you know, super famous VC for anyone who doesn't know where he just, it's non-negotiable that he takes time for himself first and starts his day that way so that he can be the best, you know, father, be the best husband, be the best business person. And that's something I aspire to get to more and more. Um, I will, you know, Yuha is an incredible dad. He takes on actually, I feel like sometimes more than I do, but I feel like women automatically sacrifice themselves if the kids need something, if the family needs something, you know, I'll be like, oh, I'm not going to do the workout because, you know, Matthias needs something. And so I'm, I'm actually trying to practice um, putting myself first and uh, I've been, I've been somewhat successful at it. So definitely in terms of turning things off, it's just making sure that I'm a very planned and organized person. I'm a hyper planner. And so I just need to like carve it in, schedule it in, make it a routine and then it's going to work for me. I know for some people are different. They need to be spontaneous. For me, I have everything is in my calendar and that makes me calm. Some people think it's crazy, but I love it. <laughs> you have to know you. Yeah. I, I also, I want to take a shot at the, like the anti-meditation. Like somehow meditation became like the cool thing for everyone to say they do, but a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. So then when somebody does like you, you almost feel awkward saying it. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I, I meditate and, but you know, I'm, and it's, and I think 
I, I mentioned this because like I too, right? And, and I vlogged, um, I, you know, this thing where it tells you like how, compa- how many you've logged, right? And you're like, oh my oh, gosh. Oh yeah, game of mine. <laughs> yeah, I'm like. Headspace, it tells you. It's like, it tells you your streak, everything. Yeah, and, and at one point I, it almost became competitive, right? Where I was like, oh my God, I gotta do like, I think I did 45 days and I missed a day. And, I, mm. and then I woke up then and I'm like, what am I doing? But <laughs> there are some commonalities that you find amongst people that you have to create that time for yourself, right? Like successful people do get up early often, right? Successful people do give themselves the oxygen mask. And I, and I think allowing that in, into like the entrepreneurial culture is where I get my best ideas, is where you have the energy to show up and be the person you are. And I, and I think more entrepreneurs talking about that is really important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, I think it is, it is really important. Gamifying meditation is so funny. I have, I have like forgiven myself for not keeping streaks alive. And once I got over that and just do it when I can, it is still, it makes such a difference. I'm like a different person if I do it or don't do it in the morning. It really has a big impact for me. Um, Whether that's placebo or not, I guess doesn't matter because it has a positive effect. So it's been really good. But I, you know what? I'm going to, I got to out you, because it's so funny. We're talking about this. So he and he is on Headspace and he has not broken his streak for a, like, I want to say something crazy. Like, I think a thousand days. No. So it's been years. He's always kind of intense with things. Like, when he went he, vegan, yeah. he went vegan <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know where we were and we were, we were eating and I'm like, yeah. oh yeah. And, and he's like, he asked the person, he's like, is it vegan? And they're like, I don't know. He's like, can't eat it. And it yeah. was like beans. Is it vegan? It was like, is it, it very was principled? Spirit, right? He is so <laughs> solid. It's solid. Yeah. So you are good for you. You're beating everyone at Headspace. You're beating everyone at the Zen game. <laughs> so I, I guess we'll wrap on this, you know, from my view, there's, there's the next chapter, right? Like you have this identity, you're a founder, you're the co-founder, I should say, and then you grow, you exit. And now you're here. Hmm. So a big focus for me has been learning to be present. It, 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 I know this is something that a lot of people talk about, and I, I don't mean to get too like wellness, mindfulness on everyone here, but for me, it's all about the present moment and, and if I'm actually in the present moment because what I'm seeking is a joyful life and I find the only way to do that is to be present. And the other thing I talked about a little bit earlier is, you know, in the beginning of being an entrepreneur, we didn't celebrate the wins. They came and they went and we were looking at the next milestones. And so that very much sums up kind of what I'm trying to do right now, which is work on my own mental state to be here now and enjoy what I'm doing right now because I like what I'm doing right now and I I will like it and enjoy it even more and know more clearly what I want to do next if I can be present here. So that's really, you know, how I've shaped my routine. It's very much how I'm setting my goals for this year. And uh, to be totally honest, I don't know what, what is next. What's next is we have a major event tonight bringing in a lot of partners and it's a lot of people I've worked with for many, many years and I'm excited to see everyone and to do what I've been doing for a long time, which is connecting amazing individuals, pivoting their careers with awesome companies who want to hire them. And so that's kind of the, the here and now. And uh, I know I will continue 
to work in and be a champion for diversity and inclusion. Um, there's some amazing things happening. I really hope to play a small role in helping shape Miami Tech's ecosystem for the future in uh, whatever I end up doing or am doing currently. So that's that's the name of the game right now. Joe, what an incredible episode. Joe, we get everybody out on the fast four. <laughs> All right? Great. As an entrepreneur, what trends are emerging that interest you? Like the big meta trends. I would say uh, BR still. I recently did an experience where with UPix, a partner here in South Florida, where you get to experience a condo being built or any type of space, a future space, but you actually jump into it in their experience, the here and now. I went to a rave on a rooftop with them. I went to a spa. It was incredible. That is incredible. One place in the world, everyone. Oh, oh wait, to- I got to go back. The other thing I got to shout out is NFTs. I know, I know we're getting <laughs> rocked right now with the current economy. Crypto is not doing well. NFT values have plummeted, but, uh, you know, I- I'm very interested to see what happens in that space and, and personally, uh, you know, ha- have a bunch of NFTs. So, and have some friends doing amazing things in that space. Not to jump back for a minute, but like, could NFTs be going through the same cycle that code schools went through, right? Major doubt, major excitement, then major doubt, and then now acceptance. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit. We'll see. We'll see. One place in the world everyone needs to visit at least once. Finland, of course. Helsinki, but only in the summertime. Gorgeous. Long drinks? Yes. Long drinks? Absolutely. (laughs) Greatest area of growth for you in the coming year? I think we've covered a little bit of this. Um, yes, practicing to be patient and present. Favorite podcast everyone needs to be listening to. So this is amazing. You're amazing. I, you know, coming on, I listen to all. So I will genuinely say, and I love that you call them classmates. All the classmates already know, but sh- share the word or, or spread the spread the word so others watch. Um, I also love Pivot, Kara Swisher, Scott Galloway. I find them very entertaining. I also, you know, I like the classic of Oprah's uh, Super Soul, Super Soul podcast. Also very sweet. (laughs) Joe, this was an incredible episode. I'm so excited uh, that you made the time. And thanks so much for joining us. And um, I can't wait till we reconnect. Awesome. It was great to see you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining today's class with Joanna Mikola. Joanna's journey and willingness to continually hurdle both personal and professional obstacles is truly a mindset all entrepreneurs should strive to emulate. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an idea for our next class, please email me directly. You've been listening to Capital Class, adventure with the Strategist Podcast Network. Learn more at strategistgroup.com. I'm Adam Geary. Class is closed. <laughs>